Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. It's that time. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, 1.0. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, January 27th. I am Frank Stample, joined, as always, by Scott White and Chris Towers. Hello, Scotty. Stop me if Hello. you've been asked this before, but how would you describe the difference between a sleeper and a breakout? Yes, and the age-old question. Uh, even, even my own definitions of these two terms evolve based on convenience. I would say that there's an element of value to both. I think you could broadly classify all breakouts as also sleepers, but probably not the other way around. Um, I think with breakouts, there's an element of this guy's never done that, ha- has never done this thing before. He's breaking out, reaching a new threshold. For me, I've I've added a distinction to sleepers just to keep the category from becoming overbroad. That people have to genuinely be sleeping on this player, which which normally means. They they tend to be lower end. They tend to be lower end players, uh, players that go late in drafts if they're drafted at all. Um, so my sleeper list it kind of makes my sleeper list less exciting. But I have a lot of different sleeperish type lists that I debut throughout the preseason. So I'm I'm okay with that. I do have Justin Verlander on my sleeper list because, you know, I I think the idea of sleeping on a player can mean you're just. You're, you're not drafting him in a way that acknowledges the full extent of his upside, and I think that's absolutely happening with Justin Verlander now. Um, so it, it doesn't... They're not exclusively low-end guys, but they, they tend to... It tends to be a lot more low-end guys for me. Uh, breakout, the extent of the discount may not be as much, but you know, in addition to having that, that kind of first-time element going on with them, it's, it's also the idea that they're not being drafted based on the extent of their upside just you know they, they may be they they may be valued more than the sleepers are i kind of think that sleeper and the term undervalued undervalued are kind of synonymous at this point so i mean that's not really dissimilar than what you just said you know breakout 
maybe they have more league winning potential or they're going to do something that we've never seen do them do before. Uh, that's basically what I look at the differences between the two. Hello, Chris. How would you describe a bust? Um, I, I think it depends on what time of year. You know, when I write my first bust column uh, a couple weeks ago, it wasn't necessarily here are 12 players who I think are going to be bad this season. It was here are the 12 riskiest players among the highly drafted players at each position, that kind of thing. And then once we get closer, I'll narrow it down to these are 10 players I'm not buying, you know, who aren't worth their their price. That's that's essentially how I look at it. It's just they're not worth the price that you have to pay to get them either because of risk or perceived lack of upside or whatever, you know, it, it may be. But I think in in all of these, you know, it, it's it's kind of like the you know, the Supreme Court, I, I can't define it, you know, or I should not today attempt to further define the kinds of materials I understand to be embraced within the shorthand description, sleepers break out some bust. And perhaps I could never exceed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it. It's that kind of thing. Like, like everybody's definition is different. The one I'll always hang on to is when I let my coworkers uh, talk me out of Giancarlo Stanton as a sleeper in or a breakout in 2017, I believe the year he hit uh, 58 home runs. And it was like, well, he's already broken out. He can't. And it's like, yeah, but he's being discounted. He's I, like, for me, breakout is he's going to take it to another level, whether it's from a starter to a star or a bench guy to a starter, or if I, like bounce backs, I think are breakouts also. And so it's all, it's all nebulous and it's, it's mostly just a way to feed the never-ending content mill, um, and to, and a way to talk about players that we like and dislike, and and all those. It's you know like, I I think it's fun. I so think it's you, mostly just fun. Of as course, as you can tell, these these definitions are very strict and rigid, and yeah. not at all not at all defined by the person uh, coming up with the list of names. That's yeah. that's definitely how it works. No, I I mean obviously the simplest way to think of it. Sleepers, breakouts, good, busts, bad. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We've got five of each. So five sleepers, five breakouts, five busts, two from each of Scott and Chris. Oh, throw one your way that I'm either liking or disliking this season. And uh, let's jump right in because we have a lot of names to get to here. Scotty, why don't you kick us off your first sleeper you'd like to talk about? Uh, cue me up with the name I hit you with before because I don't remember who I texted you. That would be from my New York Yankees. Oh my good goodness gracious! And so I, I will point out, this means that we're only giving four sleepers. So Frank, if you want to give an extra one, by mm. all means. Well, I haven't wrote my sleeper column yet, so I'm still kind of coming up with the list, but I might be able to give you one. Uh, Scotty, it's Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt, yes. Also a sleeper for me. Yes, yes. How could you not love Luke Voigt? Uh, apparently, a lot of people don't love Luke Voigt because a lot of people seem to think he's not going to be the Yankees' first baseman next year. And obviously, my calculation will change if that proves to be true. Uh, but as things stand right now, He's in line to start at first base for the Yankees. And by golly, he should, because he has been amazing since joining that team. Since joining the Yankees, which, uh, let's see, when did it happen? 2018. 
okay. So so four se- parts of four seasons he's been with the Yankees. His sla- the slash line he has averaged during that time is 270, 362, 519. A 36 homer, 100 RBI, 90 run pace across his stint with the Yankees. I mean, clearly an early round first baseman. He was the major league leader in home runs in 2020. The only times he hasn't been a stud are when he's been playing through injuries. In the 2019 season, he he had a a sports hernia he was dealing with for the entire second half. And then last year, obviously, got derailed by injuries early. The Yankees ended up trading for Anthony Rizzo, and, and Voight never got consistent playing time after that. But just when he's healthy and on the field, he's as good as you could ask for among first basemen. And his ADP is... Outside the two hundred, outside the top two hundred, like he's he's literally he's he's an afterthought, a complete afterthought. Which, by the way, I mean, I think it's even worse this year. But that was also kind of true heading into that twenty twenty mm-hmm. season when he had the sports hernia the previous year. Didn't seem like people were willing to invest much in him, and, and then he went on to lead the majors in home runs during that pandemic shortened season. So he's 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 only thirty years old. There's there's no reason to write him off yet, as long as the Yankees themselves don't. Yeah, the ADP for Luke Voigt is 237, as you mentioned. So going outside the top 200, he's he's basically free in 12-team leagues right now. And uh, the, the past two seasons combined, just 2020 and 2021, he played 100, 124 games, 33 homers during that time, 856 OPS. There's no doubting he's really good when he plays. It's just, can he stay on the field? Will he be on the Yankees? These are all questions, you know, for the injury part. We don't really know yet. Uh, same thing for the Yankees, but it sounds like uh, my guess is, as someone who follows the team very closely, they will bring somebody in, whether it's Freddie Freeman, sorry, Scott, Matt Olson, or Anthony Rizzo. Just valuing a left-handed bat, defense, to me, it sounds like that's a foregone conclusion, but there's still time for that to change. Chris, why don't you tell us why you are in on Luke Voigt? I mean, you, you guys covered it. Anytime he's been healthy, he's been a high 800s OPS bat, at least, and... You know, he was never going to repeat 2020. He was an obvious fade last season when he was going off the board as the fourth first baseman, but he was also an obvious buy going into 2020, and I think he's an obvious buy right now. The The concerns about playing time, those are fair. It doesn't matter at this price. Like, if you can get Luke Voigt outside of the top 200, it doesn't matter if he doesn't play every day because there's one, as I always say when it comes to these kind of questions, life finds a way. You know, someone that they that they have is going to get hurt. Like, how about this? You can't do the thing that everybody in fantasy does. Giancarlo Stanton can't stay healthy. And then also say there's nowhere for Luke Voigt to play. Because if Giancarlo can't stay healthy, well, there you go. Luke Voigt's got an everyday job sometime. So, like, you just look at the projections and it's it's pretty obvious that he's a value. Even if he, you know, like, ATC has him projected for 119 games, 485 plate appearances. 26 homers, 65 runs, 71 RBI with a 250 average. If that's all you get out of him, that's a steal at 237th overall. Like that, that's not much different than what you should expect from Ryan Mountcastle. Like obviously the playing time concerns are lesser for Ryan Mountcastle, but even before the the they move the fences in, my expectations for Ryan Mountcastle and Luke Voigt wouldn't be that much different on a per game basis. And so if the question is playing time. That'll get sorted out eventually. Yeah, I think if you're drafting right now, which most of you should not be doing, but if you're doing best ball drafts or drafting holds, 
now is the time to buy Luke Voigt because regardless, if yeah. he is on the Yankees this time in two months, his ADP will be 100 spots higher. I, I truly do if believe he gets that. Tr- if he gets traded, it's going to be 100 spots higher. Oh, yeah. He's not going to get traded somewhere that he's not playing. Yeah, but it's also not likely going to be as good of a ballpark as Yankee Stadium, right? And Sure, but, as but if, if you think he's good, that doesn't matter that much. Yeah. I mean, look, he can go back to Oakland, I guess, in a Matt Olson trade or um, just if they're trying to beef up the bullpen or something. Like, yeah, they can ship out Luke Voigt if they if they bring another first baseman in. But yeah, now is yeah. the time to buy uh, if you are doing early drafts. By the way, you mentioned Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan Mountcastle doesn't hold a candle to a healthy Luke Voigt. I mean, it's it's yeah. a different category of player entirely. I didn't. And Ryan Mountcastle's going right. 106th overall right now. I I know, like I bonus bust Ryan Mountcastle, and I I would have called him a bust candidate <laughs> yes. even before the news of them moving and pushing back the fences. All right, Chris. So you Agreed. doubled down on Luke Voigt. Who is the other sleeper you wanted to talk about? The other sleeper I want to talk about is Joe Adele, who we talked about. Yesterday, a little bit. You guys talked about, I'm sure, a little bit in the uh, outfielder tiers episode. But I just think it's it's kind of straightforward. This is still, I believe, a 22-year-old. He turns 23 in, in early April with obvious elite skills who just had a monster season at AAA where he hit 290 with a 934 OPS and a 45 homer. 16 steel pace who has been underwhelming in 73 major league games so far. And he's what 180th in ADP, something around there. There's no reason not to draft him as your fifth outfielder or utility or a bench player, whatever he ends up being. There is so much upside with Joe Adele. It, it feels like, you know, where Byron Buxton has been for a lot of his career. And maybe it'll go the same way. Joe Adele has had a lot of injury issues himself. And maybe he it'll take him a long time to figure it out. But you don't get a lot of opportunities to bet on an elite talent at the cost that Joe Adele has right now. And so that's just the 238.4 is his ADP right now. It just I don't think there's any questions about playing time. He started to flash towards the end of last season. I believe it was the last 17 games. Um, He cut the strikeout rate and was hitting much better before his injury, which was a minor injury. It just happened to be at the, you know, end of September. Um, His last 17 games, he hit 302 with an 867 OPS. I just, I think he can be a third round kind of player. I I legitimately think there's that kind of skill set. Yeah, and that's exactly why I have Joe Adele in my breakouts column, Chris. Not not just in the sleeper column, because it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he obviously does something that we've never seen before and possesses league-winning potential. What does that look like? Uh, 20 homers, 20-plus home runs, double-digit steals, a batting average that doesn't hurt you, 250, 260. At his cost, that would be a league-winning player. I, I, I believe that. So uh, we know. And, that- and what we've seen from him so far, he had 115.5 mile-per-hour max exit velocity in 2020. That was top 3% in the league. 98th percentile in average sprint speed. He cut the strikeout rate. He hit for power in the minors. He's shown the elite flashes. There's no question that the skills are there. And at that point in the draft, you're picking between like him or Nathaniel Lowe. No offense, Frank. I know you like him. Don't make me get the Rangers hat. Anthony Santander. Like (laughs) 
there's there's no question that Joe Adele's you know the highest upside pick you could make out of that group. Yeah, him or Harrison Bader. He just I'm going to take Joe Adele every time. He strikes me as a guy, Chris, that we look back on the season. And I mean, or anyone who wasn't in on Adele, if he has a monster year, you just kind of look back and you're like, what were we thinking? Why wouldn't we draft mm-hmm. Adele at where he was going? It just doesn't make sense. You know, post-hype sleeper, all this prospect pedigree, finally getting a chance to play with, if the lineup stays healthy, should be a really, really good lineup. So it, it all makes sense to me as well. Scott, we haven't gotten your thoughts on Joe Adele yet. Uh, obviously, uh, Chris and I like him quite a bit. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. There, there's really no downside at the cost. I feel like, I feel like he was being drafted earlier than this two years ago. I may be wrong about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Yeah, because he he's failed now. Right. It's like, right. It's like what we were talking about but, yesterday or the day before when it's, you know, if that guy had never gotten called up and he had, if he had never gotten called up last season, he finished the minor league season with 35 homers and a 930 OPS. Yeah. He'd he'll be probably, going higher than he is right now. He'll, he'll probably wind up in my uh, 2.0 because I feel silly now that I don't have him in mine. <laughs> listening to this discussion my the most encouraging thing for me is when he got to the majors last year 22.9 percent strikeout rate which is you know there, there's nothing wrong with that 22.9 and it's a huge improvement over the 41.7 percent rate he had that that bit we saw him in 2020 almost half yeah shame on the angels i mean it was it was just such an obviously bad job by them pushing him to the majors in, in 2020 when he clearly was not ready. Scott, hit us with your sleeper number two. Connor Joe. Oh, you, Connor Joe. You know uh, I'm in. Colorado Rockies, yes. And I think, I kind of feel like it's it's he's one of those guys who could gain a lot of steam over the course of spring training once it becomes clear that the Rockies believe in him and, and plan to make him a regular part of their lineup. I think people are just... You know, it was it was a it was a small span of time when he got that opportunity, and it didn't carry through to the end of the season because he suffered a groin injury. So I think he's just he's just kind of out of mind right now for people. But in the minor leagues since the start of 2018, Connor Joe reached base at a 4.17 clip from 2018 through 2021 as a minor leaguer. 4.17. He got to the majors last year reached at a 379 clip. I think he was filling in for an injured, was it Charlie Blackman? I think it was Ryan Tapia. He was filling in for Tapia in August and got moved to the leadoff spot because he was hitting so well. He obviously has all the advantages of playing half his games at Coors Field. His numbers were amazing there. Not so great on the road, but whatever. The, this we he's, He is a Rocky. He is a Rocky, so he's going to get that huge Babbitt boost at home. Um, there are no contact issues like there have been for Sam Hilliard and, and other Rockies up and comers that we've hyped in the past. And, uh, you know, with those on base skills that those should keep him in the lineup, you know, you know as, as, as long as, as long as he continues to do it. <laughs> so the 43 games he started for the Rockies last year, Connor Joe's head-to-head points per game average was 3.13. That's the same that, that Mitch Haniger had last year. So that was the kind of impact he was making. Uh, let's see. When I wrote this article, he was going outside the top 300. Uh, so, again, you know, most, most of the drafts I do are going to end before I even get a chance to think about Connor Joe. But uh, he, I, I could see him making a big impact this year. Yeah, but for those who play in NL only or if you play in a 15-team Roto League, Maybe even a 12-team Roto League with five outfielders, you know, six or seven bench spots. You, you'll, you'll find a place 
to uh, to grab Connor Joe at the end of your drafts. And I agree with you, Scott. I mean, you look at what he did in the minors as well, strong batting average, OBP. Maybe he doesn't have a ton of upside in terms of power and speed, but if he's the leadoff man for the Rockies, there's an opportunity for, for him to contribute big batting average and a lot of runs scored yeah. as well. Yeah, it's, it's more like 20 homer power than 30. Like, I, I, I think there's certainly a limit on his ceiling, but... If he's good enough to play, he'll be good enough to use in fantasy. I'm pretty confident yeah. saying that. And from a from a points league perspective as well, Scott, I mean, you highlighted what he did, and obviously his OBP would help there quite a bit as well. Chris, do you have any thoughts on one Connor Joe? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i always going to be skeptical of the small sample size breakout, and you know, his minor league track record is less interesting than it might seem at first because he's been so old for the upper levels of the minors and he's played in the PCL, but it's course field, you know, like I, I don't trust the Rockies to play him every day. Like we we've been doing this game for like four years where there's like one or two guys late rounds that were just like, man, they're going to play him every day. He's going to be a great value. And then they just don't. Um, Chris, this is different though. But, I'll tell you why. Because he's a 29-year-old journeyman, no expectations. He's not a prospect. Even if they had a prospect that was ready to go, an outfield prospect, that would almost ensure that Connor Joe would play because they would just play him over him. But wait, yeah. are you <laughs> are you talking about Sam Hilliard? <laughs> no, but it sounds a lot like Look, Sam I'm Hilliard. I'm joshing you, but it, it's at the price as a sleeper. There's no arguing against it. I'm I'm skeptical that it's going to turn out, but. It's worth taking a shot in the late rounds for sure. Well, Chris, if you like small sample sizes, then I've got the player for you. Much like Connor Joe, Lane Thomas was someone that Scotty and I were talking about a lot down the stretch last year. I actually had him on my Tat Wars team, so shout out to Lane Thomas. He helped me get there. 45 games with the Nationals last season. 270 batting average, 7 homers, 33 runs scored, 4 steals, a 13% walk rate, 22% strikeout rate. Looking looking into his minor league career, not a great batting average, 254 in the minors, but consistently strong OBP, had a few big seasons there, had one year, 27 homers, 17 steals. There is some pop, there is some speed, and I just think that if he gets an opportunity to lead off, which I think he will to start the season, and if he performs well in that job, then, you know, with guys like Juan Soto and, and Josh Bell behind him, not it's not a great lineup, but it, it could be an okay lineup in terms of scoring runs. Then for where he's going right now, which is 252 on average, yeah. so not far off from our boy Joe Adele, uh, I would take Joe Adele ahead of him. I, I like the idea of Lane Thomas and maybe what he can provide leading off for that team. The cynical part of me wants to say that if it had been, if he had been traded to the Rays and had the exact same run to close the season, he'd be going 80 spots higher at least. Because it's just the kind of thing where we'd just be like, well, the Rays must know something. And it's like, you know, he, he looks like a talented player. His minor league track record is pretty good. Uh, he's not going to get, you know, the Nationals aren't going to get that kind of, wow, they must have unearthed a, a hidden gem uh, that nobody else saw bump that that you know a team like the Rays would get but yeah again like like Connor Joe there there's no argument against it at the price um so yeah all right Scotty I feel like you're kind of in on Lane Thomas as well yeah he was he was in my sleepers 1.0 nice I I agree I think the I think there are even I, I think there's a clear limit to Lane Thomas's ceiling too and it's even lower than Connor Joe's ceiling but Certainly, if stolen bases are a priority for you, I mean, 
if 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 he's a full time starter, if he's a leadoff hitter, twenty is twenty stolen bases are within reach, and you know, I I, I don't think a a twenty twenty outcome is outside the realm of possibility. Scott, you're you're the prospects guy. What happened in his development? Because he you see, you know, he he has this big breakout season in 2018, 27 homers, 17 stolen bases as a 22 year old between Double A AA and Triple A. And then he kind of gets a shot a little bit in 2019, a little bit in 2020, but he's been pretty consistently solid across the high minors. I mean, 240 games, he's got 42 homers and 31 steals. That's a, I don't know. And Chris is gone. Yeah. Uh, I I don't remember him getting much prospect hype, Lane Thomas. I, I do remember that he was somebody who was competing with Tyler O'Neill for playing time back when we were constantly rooting for Tyler O'Neill to get more playing time. And so I got used to rooting against Lane Thomas, but now I'm rooting for him because he's with a different team and they're <laughs> nobody, nobody better who's in line for a bats with the nationals. For anybody who's watching the podcast on YouTube right now, it's very disrespectful that Chris would just fall asleep in the middle of the podcast. You know, I've, I've got to say this Chris, you've done a lot of mean things to me, but man, this this might take the cake. <laughs> Poor guy. All right, he's going to be back anyway. Uh, let's talk about... Oh, last thing I wanted to say about Lane Thomas, I feel like he was always blocked, and, and you're right that he was competing with Tyler O'Neill, so they always had a lot of outfielders there. And look, he is a former Cardinals outfielder, and we've seen these guys leave and become better before, a la Tommy, Tommy Pham. So let's see if Lane Randy Thomas... Randy Rosarena. That's right. Let's see if Lane Thomas could could be the next one to join those guys. Uh, the last sleeper I wanted to mention, Scott, was John Gray. And solely, this is just a bet on him getting out of course Field. I really don't have numbers to back up that he's going to be better outside of course Field because as long as he's been part of the Rockies, that hasn't been the case. In his career, he's 30 years old, 4.59 ERA, 1.34 whip, strikeouts are solid, over a strikeout per inning. The, what I look at last year is he did change the pitch mix a little bit, career-high 38% slider usage, and that's far and away his best pitch. What do we normally say? Throw your best pitches more. That's exactly what John Gray did. He had an 18% swinging strike rate on that slider last year. Bigger ballpark that he moves into, better division to pitch in now in the AL West. Scott, I don't really have much outside of that, but I do think that this could be the best that we've ever seen from John Gray. Yeah, I... I really think Coors Field warps a pitcher beyond what most people realize. Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible place to pitch. I think people get that. But it, it so changes the movement on the baseball that to have any success there, you just, you just have to reinvent yourself. So I, I don't think the John Gray we've seen for the past seven years is the John Gray who is coming out of Oklahoma as this huge prospect. Um, I, I think he's had to do away with some pitches that were successful for him back then and really simplify things. So can he can he recapture that form that he gave up that many years ago? I don't know, but it's it's uh it's an exciting thought, if nothing else. John Gray, the ADP right now, two seventy five point three going ahead, just ahead of another gray, Josiah Gray. Is going three spots behind him That's right, right now. Three grays now, don't we? Yeah, Sonny Gray, John Gray, and Josiah Gray. Uh, Chris, we were just talking about John Gray, and really that there's no evidence that says he's going to be better outside of Coors Field, outside of the fact that he's going to be outside of Coors Field. I'm kind of stunned his ADP's not higher. I know he's coming off Same. 
you know, a very, very bad 2020, eight starts, and then a, you know, middling for him in 2021. But just going to a park that, you know, seems to at least favor pitchers slightly, at least, um, I don't see why you wouldn't take a chance on him. Yeah, especially where he's going. So uh, I am, I'm with you. He will be in my Sleepers 1.0 when I write it up for this Friday. We're going to hit a quick break, but a reminder that we will have a live mock draft YouTube exclusive tonight on Thursday, January 27th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This one will be a head-to-head points startup dynasty mock. Yes, it's very specific, but we're going to be doing lots of mock drafts for the next month or two. So hopefully we will hit on the format that you play in, and that's the one that we're going to be doing tonight. So make sure to come check us out and subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Starting next week, all of our podcasts are going to be live on YouTube. Once again, it's what we did last year during the season, and we're going to start it up again starting next week as well. So make sure to subscribe, tap the notification bell. So, you know, every time we go live also coming next week, we're going to have a mailbag podcast. So if you've got questions, we have answers, send those via email, fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I, or you can leave a five-star Apple podcast rating and drop your question in the review. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return breakouts here on fantasy baseball today, Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so let's move into breakouts. And Scotty, why don't you kick us off with, uh, I don't know, you want to go pitcher, you want to go hitter? You got one of each. Let's go go, uh, pitcher. All right. Let's go Ranger Suarez. And I know what you're thinking. Scott, how can a guy who had a 136 ERA last year break out? And my response to that is, well, nobody's drafting him like he had a 136 ERA last year, much less a 236 ERA or a 336 ERA for that matter. So if, you know, the actual numbers are irrelevant if he – he isn't being, um, you know, if, if he's not getting credit for them. And, and just to put that in perspective, by the way, because I, I feel like people aren't making a big enough deal of, of just what a, what a 136 ERA is. So the last time a pitcher who made at, least, made at least 12 starts in a season and had an ERA that low was... Well, it was Jacob deGrom last year. He, he, he did it as well as Ranger Suarez. But before that, the last... So not, pitcher, that, so not even that long ago. <laughs> that before, doesn't sound impressive at all. But before <laughs> that, the last pitcher to have an ERA that low and make at least 12 starts in a season was Bob Gibson in 1968. I mean, it was his. Yeah, but that was on low, raised mounds. <laughs> it was his historically <laughs> low ERA. Um, and, you know, even if you just look at the 12 starts he made, a 151 ERA. You look at the ERA estimators, 262 XERA, 272 FIP. I believe the XFIP was just a little over three. I mean, it's 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 an elite number no matter which one you look at. It's it, it says that his the formula for him should lead to great run prevention. 
And that formula is mostly built on a 59.2% ground ball rate, which would have ranked number one among qualifiers, although it would be behind both Framber Valdez and Logan Webb, who were also non-qualifiers. But anyway, it's, 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 a, it's a superlative ground ball rate for Ranger Suarez. He's still got a strikeout per inning. As over the course of those 12 starts, I, I believe, what was it, the last five were all six innings or more. Uh, and he even had a complete game shutout in there. So they, they really stretched him out fully. And at, the more they stretched him out, the, the strikeout and walk rates both actually improved. So I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's an, a situation where, um, where you know, he, he's, he's going to be overextended as a starter. He's already been pushed pretty hard in that role and, uh, and measured up. So, no, he's not going to have another 136 ERA. But like I said at the start, he has a 336 ERA. I'm going to consider it a breakout at the price he's he's uh, going. So, yeah, I, I like Ranger Suarez, and nobody else seems to. I've got to say, Scotty, I am pretty torn on Ranger Suarez. I realize how good he was last year, honestly, because I remember talking about him a lot down the stretch as well, and he won a lot of people fantasy baseball championships. But the strikeouts kind of jump off the page as something that haven't really been there for him in the past. That coincides with the swinging strike rate. So how real is that? I was just looking into his pitch mix to see if he did anything different last year. Not really. He threw his sinker and his four-seam fastball combined 68% of the time. I mean, that's a lot of fastball usage. I mean, we're talking about Lance Lynn and guys like that who really rely on their fastballs that much. And maybe it's just good enough with with his changeup where he can make it work. I will also point out that his final nine matchups were all very, very favorable. At the Diamondbacks, Tampa Bay, Tougher, but they do strike out a lot. Arizona at Miami, Colorado, that game was in Philly. The Cubs, the Orioles, the Pirates, and the Marlins. So, I, honestly, he's just like a tough one for me to figure out. And you, the ADP, it's it's not awful, but he's also going ahead of some names that are kind of proven, right? Like, Sean Manaya. I think Sean Manaya is like criminally undervalued this year. I mean, what he did last season... Just overall, the underlying numbers for him, the velocity jump for him. Marcus Stroman's done it for a while. He's been pretty consistent. Chris Bassett has been good the past couple of years. You know, Logan Gilbert, I think, has a lot of upside. He's in my breakouts column. So, like, the the price isn't too prohibitive, Scott, but at the same time, I feel like he is going ahead of some some players who are either established or also have upside. So, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'm going to get there with him. And that's fine. And that's, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, I, I just... Um... I have yet to hear anybody say they're like excited to draft Ranger Suarez. And I, I genuinely, I, I take him over all those guys you mentioned. I think, honestly, I, you know, I mentioned the ground ball rate, how similar his is to Logan Webb. I, I think ERA, whip, K per nine, they could, it could be similar for those two pitchers. I mean, Logan Webb did it for a longer stretch, but it wasn't a full season for him either. I, I think, um, you know, and I'd he rather, didn't really do it for a longer stretch. You know, he, it was more like three because he wasn't that great. Yeah, if you're, and, if but you're, he wasn't if that great. In all, the if you're first, excluding the good work Ranger Suarez did in relief completely, because uh, <laughs> obviously he was doing that for much longer. But I, I think, you know, just based on what we saw from the two of them last year, they profile very similarly. I understand why Logan Webb's going earlier, but you know, I, I think Ranger Suarez deserves enthusiasm himself and he's not getting it all right chris time to hear from you do you share that same enthusiasm for ranger suarez 
Uh, no, not quite so much. But I think if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I, I think you, you're pretty well aware that Ranger Suarez is the type of pitcher, a type of player, really, that Scott tends to like more than I do. I tend to be more skeptical of the small sample size uh, breakouts, as I said earlier. Scott is a little more willing to buy into them if the underlying data supports it. And look, the, the underlying data last year completely supports everything that Ranger Suarez did. It's just a question of whether you can be that successful throwing 68% of your pitches as fastballs, you know, being primarily a sinker guy. You, you don't really see a lot of sinkers out there with the 245 expected Woba against. If he can do that consistently, if he can continue to generate the kind of weak contact he was, then yeah, I, I think he could be quite good, but it's, I'm less likely to take that chance than, than Scott is, but I, I don't have anything against Ranger Suarez personally. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think that's why we're talking about these players. Scott likes him. I'm a little bit more skeptical. Same thing with Chris. So we, we talk it about and talk it out and you guys decide uh, which which argument you like most. Chris, would you rather have Ranger Suarez or hmm, I don't know, Eduardo Rodriguez who's going 25 picks later? I would rather have Eduardo Rodriguez. I think the underlying numbers, you know, one thing he's been successful at the major league level before the underlying numbers, I think, are. A little more believable just because he did it for longer. Um, I know the o- overlying uh, numbers are pretty bad for Eduardo Rodriguez, but the you know strikeout rate, walk rate, all the peripherals that we, we tend to point to looked like Eduardo Rodriguez was a really good pitcher, and he's been a sub-four FIP every season since 2017. And let's not forget last season, you know, he was coming back from a really scary heart issue as a result of uh, contracting COVID during the 2020 season or before the 2020 season. So, you know, that's something there, but you know, in 2018, he had a three, eight, two ERA in 129 innings, 2019, three, eight, one in 203. You're going to get more than a strikeout per inning. He's not bad in terms of control and the move to Detroit, I think will help him. So I, I think there's a lot of things pointing in the right direction for Eduardo Rodriguez that, one could make him a, a more efficient pitcher, which can help him pitch deep into games, which has been an issue in his career, um, and also just be a more effective pitcher. I There are definitely concerns for me that he could just be Matthew Boyd uh, to keep it within the Tigers family. But, you know, I, I think I tend to trust the the underlying numbers, and I think the – did he have myocarditis? Um, I believe that is what he had. Yep. You know, I, I, coming off of that, that's a, that's a really serious health issue. They weren't sure he was ever going to be able to pitch again. So, you know, the fact that he was even able to make, you know, 32 starts last season, let alone with underlying stats that were pretty good, I, I think is a positive sign. Yeah. I think if you just look at his 2018 and 2019 with the Red Sox and kind of set that as the baseline, a high threes ERA, 3.8, 3.85, something like that. Can he get better pitching in Detroit, in a bigger park, in a better division in terms of other parks and other offenses that you have to face? And then if he builds mm-hmm. off that, if we're talking about a 3-7, a 3-6 ERA, then, then yeah, we're, we're onto something there with Eduardo Rodriguez. And the reason I chose him in particular is because he, he is Chris's breakout. So, uh, Scott, what do you think? I mean, the surface number is not good. We've kind of got an Aaron Nola thing going on where the underlying numbers were much, much better for Eduardo. A 3.43 XFIP last year. That was 10th among starting pitchers with at least 150 innings pitch. 10th among starting pitchers. So that says he was really good. Yeah. I 
I think that I think there's a good case. I just I just can't get that excited about it because you know, even at his best, the the apart from one year where I think he got 200 innings. Um, yeah, 28. You know, the, his best his best his best case outcomes have been pretty middling. And, you know, we kept expecting him to live up to his XFIP last year, and we kept getting burned by it over and over again. So, you know, I still have him 61st in my rankings, which, you know, is is giving him credit for something he didn't do last year. But that's 28 spots behind Ranger Suarez in my starting pitcher rankings. So um, I would I would be I would be content to let Rodriguez go to somebody else. Yeah, 61 for Scott. Man, I did not realize. Apparently, I'm the high guy on Eduardo Rodriguez. I have him 42nd, and Chris, you have him at SP48. Uh, all right, Scotty, give us your hitter breakout for this season. Willie Adamas, it's almost too easy when you break down his home away splits during his time with the Rays. Uh, he complained about the batter's eye at Tropicana Field. He really didn't like hitting there. Could just dismiss it as whining, but... Over his entire Rays career, which began in 2018, he hit 219 with a 624 OPS at home. He hit 291 with an 858 OPS everywhere else. Now, it doesn't always work out that, you know, when you have home away splits like that um, and your your uh, surroundings change, the, the appropriate split just goes with you. But that's exactly what happened during his stint with the Brewers last year. 285 with 20 home runs and an 886 OPS. So with the Brewers, 285, 886. Remember, on the road with the Rays, 291, 858. Identical, right? Virtually identical. So, I mean, I don't see much reason to doubt it. And if you don't doubt it, then he Willie Adamas looks a lot like Xander Bogarts. I feel like, I mean, in, in leagues that account for plate discipline, that, that give you something for walks and strikeouts themselves, okay, Bogarts is going to have an edge just based on that. But when you're talking about the 5x5 five five stats, I feel like Willie Adamas could potentially do the same sort of thing, and yet he's going, on average, 25th just among shortstops. He's going after Glaber Torres. It's uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. I I hope in those five in, in those roto leagues, I get Willie Adamas as my middle infielder in all of them. That's that's just. I hope I hope that's what happens. Chris beat me to him in, in the last mock we did, and it was it was a moment in the draft I remember. I remember. I groaned. I shouted curses in Chris's direction, but um, but hopefully future drafts go better for me because I want I want all the Adamas I can get. Yeah, I think he's a perfect... You know, the thing about him versus... The thing for about him versus Glaber Torres is what did Willie Adamas do against the Orioles three years ago? You know, that's what you have to keep in mind. Don't be mean to Glaber, Chris. Come on. It's, well, it's, been, fairness, it's been hard enough. To Frank. <laughs> Poor Glaber, man. Hey, he was good for like 18 games at the end of the year when he played second base. So we've got some hope for Glaber Torres. I would take Willie Damas ahead of Glaber. And I think he's a perfectly, perfectly fine fallback option at shortstop. If you miss out on, if you somehow manage to miss out on like the other 15 shortstops that are also awesome. But yeah, 
Adamus, I'm totally about it, Scott. You mentioned what he did with the Brewers over 99 games. If you put that over a 150-game pace, 30 homers, 6 steals, and you mentioned the 285 batting average, it wouldn't surprise me if he does something close to what Jorge Polanco did last season. Maybe a few less steals, but I think that kind of outcome is possible for Willie Adamas. Chris, I want to get to our bus as well, so why don't you just hit me with your uh, your second breakout here. Andrew Vaughn, he is an extremely talented hitter who showed real flashes of that last season, but the overall numbers obviously were not what we were hoping for. We thought he could be a top 10 first baseman as a rookie. Clearly, that didn't happen. He's barely played as a professional before this, and the underlying numbers were not elite, but were much better than his overall numbers. 330x Woba versus a 306 Woba, 381x Woba on contact, 47.3% hard hit rate. Max exit velo in the top 6% of the league, 91.1 average mile per hour average exit velocity. He hit the ball really, really hard. And the strikeout rate is about average, but that got better as the season went on as well. So I think there are real reasons to be optimistic about Andrew Vaughn. And just as a bet on talent, I think there's a there's a very good reason to take that risk on him. I think if you just put Andrew Vaughn into context, what he did last year, while it was underwhelming from a fantasy perspective, I think it's perfectly fine. He was a rookie who had not played a single game above double A or triple A. In fact, he didn't play a single game in 2020. So we're talking about someone who hasn't played since 2019, and the last time he played, he was in high A ball. And he hit 235, 15 homers, a 705 OPS, crushed lefties, really good against lefties, really, really bad against righties. So he's got to figure that out. He was also playing out of position. He was playing in the outfield. So if he gets more opportunities to DH maybe, maybe play some first base and they could DH Jose Abreu, I think that could also help. And generally speaking, I think, there aren't that many right-handed hitters who have extreme splits, so I, I would expect him to be much better against righties moving forward as well. All right, Scotty, I'm going to give us our last breakout here before we get to bust, and I actually have a new uh, a new audio drop to play for, for this one, and it's going to please our wrestling fans out there for... Uh, I don't know how what's the crossover between fantasy sports and wrestling. I feel like it's actually pretty good. Like There's got to be some kind of correlation there. Anyway, this one's for Shane O'Mac. Shane McClanahan, my breakout. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Let's go. Shane O'Mac. Shane McClanahan. We talked about him a lot down the stretch last year as well, Scott. He was awesome as a rookie. 3-4-3 ERA. The whip a little bit high. 1-2-7. Over a strikeout per inning. The arsenal looks amazing. He has four different pitches. He throws at least 8% of the time. A fastball, 96 miles per hour on average. 14.8% swinging strike rate. Tied for eighth among starting pitchers with at least 120 innings pitched last year. What I think he needs to work on is the fastball, specifically the command of that fastball. It got hit pretty hard. 300 batting average against 500 slugging percentage. Kind of has this Shane Bieber thing going on from when Bieber first came up. He lived a little bit too much in the zone and he got hit hard as a result of that. But man, based on just stuff and the arsenal, what this guy has, and he's in the Tampa Bay organization, I think he's going to be really, really good. He pitched 129 innings, between the regular and postseason. I think we can get up to like 150, 160. Scott, what are you thinking about the workload for Shane McClanahan this year? Yeah, I think I think what you laid out is possible. And uh, you know, he'll be he'll be a nice value if he does that. I, it, it obviously means he's not going to break through as an ace this year because you need at least 180 innings for that. But you know, he, he could break out in, in to a lesser degree. I just don't like the price. 
the price is higher than I would like it to be. Yeah. Chris, I agree with you. But I think 110th overall is just that's a lot to pay for a for a guy who has the injury or the the innings questions, but also real red flags in his batted ball profile in terms of the quality of contact he gave up. He was one of the worst in the league in terms of the quality of contact he gave up. Now, pitchers don't have as much control over that as hitters do, so you know maybe that's a one-year fluke thing and it'll regress, but yeah, he needs to either be a lot better in that regard or needs to get, you know, needs to get that strikeout rate even up to like 30%. Well, what do you think about the comp to Bieber, Chris? Because I feel like we said the same thing when Bieber first came up that year and he was allowing a lot of hard contact. And he was, I looked at the zone percentage for, for Shane McClanahan and he was above league average. So maybe he just needs to throw those secondary pitches out of the zone a little bit more. And, and ultimately that'll help play up the rest of his arsenal. Yeah, I mean, it, it fits in some ways because like the FIP and XFIP do suggest that he was quite good last season the xera is the one that really stands out because that's the one that takes quality of contact into account more so than the other two so you know it i think it's possible but one shane bieber the kind of leap he made is not the kind of thing you should ever expect any pitcher to do um but yeah like i i think shane mcclanahan's extremely talented it's just I think the red flags are too much to ignore at 110th overall. That that's the only thing for me. All right, I just got my first share of Shane McClanahan, so I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, what do you think of this pitching staff? I've got Zach Wheeler, Charlie Morton, and Shane McClanahan so far. Sounds fine. I think you, sounds- I think I think you need more pitchers. It sounds fun, Scott. It doesn't sound fine. It sounds fun to me. All right, let's move on to bus, and, and we'll wrap up with these. Uh, Scotty, why don't you kick us off here with uh, your your first bus? My first bust, Frank, I'm going to hit you with Jazz Chisholm, who is a bust candidate, I think, in the in the purest sense, meaning bottom out, drop from your roster type potential here. Uh, was considered very raw, breaking into the majors last year. A lot of strikeouts in his minor league career. I was not giving him much of a chance to be even useful heading into his rookie season. I just thought he'd, he'd get eaten alive, frankly. So it was surprising to see him have such a strong April, hitting 311, slugging 581 in that first month, stealing nine bases. Very surprising. It kind of carried him as a fantasy asset. It kind of carried him the rest of the way because the final five months, he hit 236, slugged 395, Stole only 14 bases in five months' time. So he kind of got eaten alive after that first month. It kind of played out the way I thought it would. And, uh, you know, everybody stuck with him because he started so strong. He's a top 100 player right now. I I just, I I can't even wrap my head around that. It's... It fits into the idea we were talking about uh, on the last podcast, this desperation for steals you see in in these roto drafts. You know, oh, look, a guy who could maybe deliver me a 2020 outcome. Yeah, maybe. Uh, But again, I think it's just as likely come mid-April you're dropping him. And that's, that's that's too much draft capital to invest in a guy with with um, you know 
that much volatility in his profile. By the way, I, I think that's more, the more look likely scenario than him breaking out with this monster season. I think it's more likely that he will get dropped than that he will make good on his upside. But, but I'm happy that you acknowledge at least the range of outcomes, right, for Jazz. I mean, there is a scenario where he hits 20 homers with 30 steals and, you know, he becomes this stud for fantasy baseball. But I, I agree. I mean, the low, the floor is pretty low as well, especially for a cost that at one time, Scott, was inside of the top 100. You know what I just realized? Fantasy Pros ADP has also added CBS Sports ADP. So that has dragged Jazz Chisholm down quite a bit because he's going oh, 167th overall in CBS oh, and, drafts. You know, a lot of our leagues are points, so that right. that'll that's especially uh, a rough. Like he probably isn't. I don't know if he's not worth drafting in points, but he's not a starting caliber player in points league. I think. Sure. We also haven't done a lot of drafts on CBS yet, so it's going to yes. take some time for this ADP to to normalize. Yeah. Our, now, our ADP data is separate points in Roto, so I assume Fantasy Pros pulled the, the Roto data. Um, but, you know, 167th overall is more along the lines of where I rank Jazz Chisholm. So if, I'm, I'm happy that we're dragging him down if that's the case. I can't stamp my name to everything that might show up in CBS ADP, but for this particular thing I can. One, one thing I'll, I will say is if all he does is repeat last year's overall numbers, you know, a pick around 100 isn't the worst thing in the world. Like he'd probably be around worth that just because 18 homers and 23 stolen bases in 124 games, like that's super valuable in a Roto League. So, you know, I, I guess if you want to make the, the argument against the bottom falling out, it would be that. But no, I agree. He's just a, an incredibly volatile player. Uh, the the skill set is he's more he's more tools than skills is the way I think I put it in the shortstop or second base preview and it's um you know you can kind of see it in just like when you dive into the numbers you see that like he hit fastballs really well he was bad against both breaking balls and off speed pitches like that kind of stuff fits in with what you think of when you think of a player like Jazz Chisholm who's incredibly toolsy but you know, the, the skills are still catching up in terms of putting them into play more consistently. And for what it's worth, all four of the projection systems that are on fan graphs right now have Jazz Chisholm as a 2020 bat. The problem is they all have him between a 235 batting average and a 241 batting average. So yeah. keep that in mind. Lots of power, lots of speed, but he's, he's still got a ways to go, I think, before we're, you know, drafting him inside the top 100 here. Chris, uh, Jazz was one of your busts. Who is the second one? Yes. Tyler O'Neill, um, I just I, I can't say for sure that what he did last season was a fluke because it's the kind of thing that we've always thought was possible for him. He's always been, you know, one put up big numbers in the minors, and two has had the you know the elite t- tool set. When you look at you know average exit velocity and max exit velo and all those things and sprint speed, like he's always been a rare combination of raw power and speed. The problem was he had never been able to put it into play consistently because his play discipline was so bad. Well, he struck out more in 2021 than he did in 2020 and also hit 286 with a 912 OPS. So, you know, I, I think 
he could absolutely do this again. The the reason he's a bust for me and the reason he's a a risk at his price is it's just like Jazz Chisholm, it's a volatile skill set. And so I could see something like remember Jorge Soler led the majors in home runs in twenty nineteen. And then he kind of struggled in 2020, and 2021 was up and down for him. So, you know, I, I think it's that kind of thing where the plate discipline is bad, and that can lead to long, long stretches of him just not being particularly good. I'm, I'm with you. He was in my bus 1.0 as well. 31% strikeout rate, 16% swinging strike rate. Both of those were sixth highest in the in the league among qualified hitters. Of course, there are some players that can overcome that, like a Javier mm-hmm. Baez. And Tyler O'Neill kind of has some Javier Baez to him where he's like a freak athlete, so he might be able to outperform this stuff. But but I need to see it You look it at happen. Javier Baez, and that's kind of the risk profile there because Javier Baez has been fantasy relevant every single season of his career, really, since he became an everyday player. But he had the one year where he was an MVP contender, and ever since then, it's been good months, bad months, good seasons, bad seasons. Uh, you know, let's not forget Javier Baez was like the most hated man in New York City for a couple <laughs> of months last year. Thumbs down, baby. Overall, I mean, his numbers last year were pretty good. Javier Baez did his 265 batting average, 31 homers, yeah. 18 steals. Um, you know, really, his only bad season, Chris, was 2020, the shortened season. Looking at it now. All right, we'll yeah. talk about Javier Baez. Another day. <laughs> Bonus bust, Javier Baez. Oh, come on. Scott. He is also on my list. Oh, geez. I mean, not that I love Javier Baez or anything, but yeah, I mean, I haven't. I was so frustrated. I drafted him everywhere leading into 2020. I didn't know it was going to be a shortened season. It wouldn't have really changed things for me. I liked him a lot that year. And he just, it was so painful to watch last year, him bounce back and be great when I, I didn't draft him anywhere. So. I, I kind of feel like I need to get into it now. Do I need to get into it now? Javier Baez? Uh, yeah, well, go ahead. He's always had, he's always been an outlier in terms of BABIP and in terms of home run to fly ball rate. He had to be one of the very best in the league at both to continue to put up the numbers he has. And so far, he's managed to do that. He actually got worse in terms of plate discipline last year, the strikeout rate got worse Uh, i think the walk rate got worse too in any case it wasn't good and still he managed to put up pretty good numbers as you mentioned frank you know why he became even more of an outlier in babip and home run to fly ball rate those numbers somehow got better for him it's just it's just one of those situations where there's no way he can possibly be that kind of exception for year after year after year. one of these years it's gonna slip up and the results could be really bad. And and it could be the year he goes to Detroit. Yeah, I don't Nick think Detroit. Cast- yeah, I don't think Detroit helps. We we saw Nick Castellanos made make the reverse move, Detroit to the Cubs, and he exploded and, and he's you know been hyped to the hills in fantasy ever since. So no, I don't know that Baez's particular swing profile is is gonna hurt him in Detroit the same way it did Castellanos, but it's not an upgrade, that's for sure. The only thing I'll say yeah. about Baez regarding the ballpark in Detroit is he kind of strikes me as one of these guys where his home runs are going to fly out anywhere. You know, like Javier Baez. Not he, to right center. They will not fly out the right center. That's fair. But does he hit a lot of his home runs to right center anyway? I feel like I, don't I feel like he's so pull heavy. 
Probably not as many as Castellanos, but uh, that's fair. But yeah, I I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I think the takeaway with Baez and Jazz and and O'Neill is not these guys are going to bust, which I think is what people hear when you say mm-hmm. bust. Yeah, but it's really just highlighting that once you get to a certain range in the draft, you know, fifth, sixth round is is where. Uh, O'Neal and Baez are going. I think Jazz is a little lower. That's where it starts to be a, a risk-reward pr- proposition and where the risk might outweigh the reward. Honestly, I'm probably going to have a lot of shares of Baez, at least in Roto, because I'm not placing a high priority on stolen bases early in the draft. And you know, considering the upside Baez has, I, I don't think his going rate is that bad. I don't think he's a poor value necessarily. I'm just saying the bottom the, the floor for him is really low and it you know it doesn't it's not a strain on the imagination to 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 yeah. see him reaching it. Chris, you shaved. Looks good. Thanks. Sorry, my my hat head was <laughs> my, you know, my hat was getting a little itchy. All right. Uh Scotty, you have one more buzz. Give yeah, thir- just 30 seconds or less. Zach Gallon again big bottom out potential here um his elbow he missed time with an injury the structural integrity has been called into question on that elbow and when he returned he didn't look the same he did finish strong final eight starts 319 era more than a k per but his swinging strike rate during that stretch was 8.6 percent far cry from the 12 percent rate we're used to seeing that's like a bottom of the barrel swinging strike rate i can't say for sure tommy john surgery is happening but until I see him turn around those rates, I will presume he and Tommy John surgery are on a collision course, and I don't want I don't want to be caught in the crosshairs. All right, again, that is Zach Gallon. Let me just quickly pull up the ADP so see where he's going right now. That is one twenty six point three, which is actually for me. a little bit higher than I think it should be as well. I'm going to wrap up here with a, a bust of mine, and this goes out to the gentleman on Twitter who called me a Yankee homer. It's it's Aroldis Chapman. He's he's my bust here. We haven't talked about any closers, but I feel like we should at least mention one. And Chapman had a 3.36 ERA last year, which is okay, but a 1.31 whip over six walks per nine, the second highest of his career. Was it you know, a product of the sticky stuff last season and, and losing out on it? I don't know. Maybe. His first two months, he had a .45 ERA, 0.75 whip. Final four months, 4.95 ERA, 1.62 whip. Among pitchers with at least 10 innings pitched before June and 10 innings pitched after June, Chapman had the third biggest drop in K-minus walk rate last season. So do with that what you will, but it's very clear that the Yankees had sticky stuff in their clubhouse. So who was using that stuff? We know Garrett Cole was. Was the role of Chapman? Kind of seems like he was as well. So, uh, and there are capable relievers on this Yankee team as well. Uh, Jonathan Loisigo wouldn't surprise me if either they sign another reliever, they trade for another reliever. Uh, but either way, I feel like the leash for role of Chapman is shorter now than it's ever been before. And based on his ADP as like a top five or six closer, I just don't want to mess with that. So I'm out. I'm out on Chapman. Anybody else? I think it makes sense. Scotty? Good? No. Good. All right. So we'll right there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye.